In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. Wanted to make another reminder for the book of the week. For this week, it's I'm Okay, You're Okay by Thomas Harris, the classic book on self esteem and transactional analysis. I'm Okay. You're Okay by Thomas Harris. I'll post a picture of the book today. Um, to start off today's show, I wanted to talk about an article I came across related to parents and showing their emotions. It actually was written a, a little less than a year ago by a mother and pediatrician. Her name is Smita Malhotra. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm pretty sure I did not. But anyway, it's um, the title of the article is, Instead of Denying Our Own Sadness to Our Kids... We should teach them how to cope. And the title itself I found intriguing, and I like the article and what she had to say. So she starts off the article um, by describing an interaction she had with her then two-year-old daughter who said, You sad, Mama? And she quickly said, No, Mama is happy. Don't worry. When in fact she was sad. She was watching uh, news coverage from the Orlando shooting that happened uh, now a couple years ago. Um... And she had just seen a mother who had lost their child in that shooting. And she was heartbroken and, of course, having her own children, I'm sure, connected even more to it and was very sad. But her reaction was to tell her daughter she was not sad and also don't worry. And this is something that a lot of parents do. Um, I've heard a lot of parents even talk about when they're going through a tough time. They'll say, well, I couldn't let my kids see me cry. So I didn't cry or I only cried when they were not around or I had to find ways around it or pretend like I wasn't sad. And we think that that's something we're supposed to do. But I don't agree with that mentality and that mindset. And also behind those actions is a certain type of mindset, a big part of which is that we shouldn't feel sad or that sad feelings are bad feelings, that we aren't supposed to feel sad. And because that is not a good thing, also our kids seeing us feel sad, one shows them that sad is something we feel and makes it more okay. And two, will make them feel very, very sad because they're seeing us sad, they won't be able to handle it. Neither of which are actually true. Or in a sense, the first one is true, but in a good way. We should show our children that being sad is okay. Because, spoiler alert, your children are going to feel sad sometimes. They're going to feel mad sometimes. They're going to feel angry at you even sometimes and sad from something you did. And what we want to do is to show our children that actually it's okay to feel all the feelings. Even mommy and daddy feel those feelings sometimes. And also through that, show them how to deal with our emotions in a healthy way. 
And denying our emotions is not a healthy way of dealing with them. And the only way to show them how we can deal with feelings in a healthy way is to actually feel them and show them that. So rather than saying I'm never sad or not show them sadness, we can show them, oh, look, mommy's a little bit sad today. Or, you know, I saw this movie or this news story and it made me a little bit sad. And yeah, mommy's crying. And also you show them that that doesn't mean mommy is never going to stop crying, that crying is bad, or that it's something to be scared of. You approach your feelings or you connect with your feelings in a way that shows them they're not scary at all. So, of course, to do this, we have to take a step back and actually have that type of relationship with our emotions. We can't just fake it till you make it or pretend like we're okay with our feelings. We have to really think and feel that way about our emotions and how we deal with them. So we have to go through that process on our own. Hopefully become before you become a parent, but even if you are a parent, it's not too late to at least begin. And a big step in that process, which also the author of this article describes, is meditation and mindfulness, getting more connected to our emotions and also having a non-judgmental awareness of our feelings, meaning that we don't judge our feelings as good or bad, or we should have them or shouldn't have them, but that we just have an awareness of them in a non-judgmental way. Oh, right now I'm sad. Right now I am upset. Unfortunately, what most of us do is we try to run away from our feelings or deny them by actually being anything but mindful, by staying out of the moment. One of the biggest ways we're doing that nowadays is by looking at screens. Whether it's our phone or an iPad or computer, we always keep ourselves occupied in some way. Sometimes telling ourselves we're being productive or not wasting time, but actually what we're doing is we're afraid to sit with ourselves and see what we feel because we have this bad relationship with our emotions and also we're afraid of what we might be feeling if we let ourselves do that. So what we want to actually do is let ourselves feel what we're feeling and even lean into those negative emotions. Rather than running away from them, we want to face into them or go into them and say, okay, this is how I'm feeling and it's okay. And I've used the, the example of a storm to describe sometimes those negative emotions we're having and we sometimes try to outrun the storm. But what we can recognize if we stop running, which makes things even more painful and stressful and doesn't make the emotion go away, if we actually stood still and allowed the storm to catch up to us, we would see that it would rain on us for a little while, but then it would pass us by. And that's how our emotions work. They don't stay forever. They're like visitors or they are like weather, which changes day to day, hour to hour. And in this book, actually, the author mentions a, a book I think is for children, which I myself have not read, called Sitting Still Like a Frog by Aline Snell, where it says that parents each day should do a personal weather report, quote unquote, with their kids. And that weather report is about their feelings. Do they feel relaxed and sunny inside or do they feel rainy and overcast? Or is their storm raging? So they have anger, do they have sadness, are they feeling happy? But that every day it's good to check in with your children about their emotional state. One, because this has the purpose of validating their emotions. Also, before that even, I should say it helps them connect to their own feelings and increase their own self-awareness. As I talked about Many times when discussing emotional intelligence, the pillar of emotional intelligence or probably what's the foundation is self-awareness. 
How aware, how in touch are we with our own emotions, our own feelings, our own thoughts? So this helps in that process because just like any muscle in our body, there's muscles in our brain we can think of where the more we use them, the better we become or the stronger those muscles become. So the more we start to think about how do I feel, the better I'm able to understand and know how I feel in the moment. So this is a great way to have this emotional communication and conversation with your children where you get them to become aware of their emotions and also show them that what they're feeling is okay. Because it's, you're even saying, okay, are you feeling sad inside in a very okay way? Not that, uh-oh, you better not be sad because what we always tell, what do we tell kids? Turn that frown upside down. If you're sad, we have to cheer them up in whatever way, shape, or form, by bribery, by giving them a treat they're not supposed to have at that moment, by being easy on them when maybe they need the boundaries that would help them. We think we have to just take away their sad feelings. And that's not the case. We want to actually allow them to feel those feelings. So this book, I actually will check it out myself, Sitting Still Like a Frog by Aline Snell. Um, seems like it has a good message about how to talk to your children about emotions. And also, as I was just saying about trying to take away or change the feelings, we do that with ourselves, but of course with children. And when your children tell you they're feeling a certain thing, most parents do one of two things. One is try to immediately erase the emotion some way. So if they're sad, cheer them up or um, you know, distract them or tell them they shouldn't feel that way. Or they try to just solve the problem they're having or give them a quick solution. Oh, some kids teased you at school. Don't listen to them. Just walk away from them. Ignore them. Walk. Don't be friends with them anymore. And we try to quickly solve their fe their problem or, or rather than listening to their feelings and validating. So always first, you want to hear your child's feelings. And your first responsibility isn't to take them away or to solve the problem, but it's first to empathize and validate their feelings and their emotions. Oh, you're sad? I can understand that that made you sad when those kids said those things. Oh, that... I could see that was painful for you. That didn't feel good. Rather than thinking, oh, it's so easy, just walk away. Don't care. When we as adults, we would have the same situation. You go to a dinner party, and if someone said something really harsh to you in front of the group, you'd be upset. You'd be hurt. You would maybe want to say something back to them, or I'm sure when you left, you'd have some feelings about it. And you wouldn't feel very good if someone said, well, just ignore it. Don't pay attention to it. Yes, at the end of the day, you might come to that kind of a conclusion. But first, you need to deal with the emotions. And so with our children, we want to make sure we're doing that to an even higher degree. Let them know that it's okay for them to feel how they feel. And even it makes sense. You can understand it. That's what validating and empathizing with those emotions are. And then you can get to things of how to deal with the situation. What do you want to do afterwards with them? But first, we want to deal with the feelings. And of course, this doesn't just apply to children. You want to do this in all of your relationships. We know that husbands very often do this with wives. The wife just wants to vent and just have their partner empathize with them. But husbands tend to go quickly to the solving part. Oh, Susan did that at work? Well, you should do this and tell the boss that and do that. And they're like, wait, no, just stay with me for a little bit first. And of course, women can do this as well, but we see it the pattern more often happening with men doing this towards women. So with all of our relationships, all our friends, whatever it may be, we want to first empathize and validate, and then we can explore with them what to do afterwards. But don't just immediately offer a solution. But coming back to this article, it is important as a parent because we have 
the ability or we should have a greater ability than these our children do of dealing with emotions to start to show them in ourselves how we model positive interactions with our feelings. I've mentioned this many times before that I think anger in particular is a feeling that most people never got to see in a positive way or modeled correctly. In most families and Iranian families, definitely you'll see this. There's either a strong suppression of anger. You hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then you explode. It's one or the other. Either you're holding it in or you explode. And all that teaches them is that you should hide those feelings or if you do let it out, it comes out in a really ugly way. So either show it that way or some kids learn, I never want to show those feelings. So it's important for parents to model healthy ways of dealing with their emotions and expressing emotions. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be sad and you're going to be. And don't feel you have to hide or deny these feelings from your children. Not only is it important to model them, by, but just the fact that you're expressing them does give them the message that these feelings are okay. Again, your child is going to feel sad, angry, upset, surprised, all the range of human emotions throughout their childhood and throughout their life. But if they never see you showing them, or if you even give implicit and explicit messages that these are bad feelings to have, well, then what is the child to conclude? I have these feelings that makes me bad, or I should be ashamed or hide these feelings. But if we show them, you know what, sadness is okay. Did something make you sad today? Let me know. Something makes mommy sad sometimes too. Daddy gets sad sometimes as well. It's something bad or be, to be afraid of. It's something important. We value and cherish those feelings. So by showing your kids that sometimes I get sad, sometimes I get angry, I can get upset, but I'm also happy sometimes, you're showing them that you too should feel okay about all of your emotions because they are all okay. So we have to change that mindset that my kids should never see me emotional, they should never see me feeling this or that, and recognize that, no, we want to show them that it's absolutely okay for us to feel them, and it's also okay for them to feel them as well, and get them to see that their emotions don't define them, that our emotions are just part of who we are. We're almost like an observer of our own feelings and create that healthy dynamic with those emotions. So I'll, I'll post this article on um my Facebook page and Twitter, and maybe a link on Instagram if you want to take a look at it. Instead of denying our own sadness to our kids, we should teach them how to cope. And it was from the Washington Post. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back. back let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air hi how are you doing i'm good how are you fantastic thank you good. um i actually had a pleasure to speaking with your father as well about this problem and you recommended that i uh, also you know consult with you see okay. what your opinions are yes so uh, almost concurrently i started reading the six pillars of self-esteem by nathaniel brandon mm -hmm. as well as the um willpower instinct by uh, kelly McGonagall. And um, on the topic of self-acceptance, the 
which I learned a lot more about in the six floors of self-esteem to realize, oh my God, how much am I missing? Mm. Um, there was this was also mentioned in um, Kelly's book, and they had a four-step process for self-acceptance of your current emotions in lieu of your bigger goals and bigger kind of um, aspirations that you want to achieve. And these four steps were that the first one is that you notice the bad thought, the bad feeling, or the craving. This could be with regards to, um, you know, diet, it could be with regards to being lazy for studying, and so on and so forth. And the second step was you don't try to push it away. You kind of kind of see where it, you're feeling it, where your body's localizing. The third step is you acknowledge that you don't have control over all your thoughts and feelings. And the fourth one is at the same time, it's while it is part of you, it's not defining your entire entirety of who you are, and you have bigger goals and accomplishments to adhere to. Now, I was wondering, first of all, what do you think of this method? It's been working pretty well for me so far. And also, is there kind of, I mean, this might be kind of a strange question, but is there a more kind of efficient way of going about um, uh, you know, self-acceptance of your emotions and feelings and so on and so forth? Are you, are, do you mind me asking your career? Because I'm wondering if you're, you're an engineer. Oh, actually, I'm uh, no, no. But I did, I did my. Well, I recently graduated six months ago. Um, <laughs> neurobiology, physiology, and behavior. Okay, uh, very, very scientific. Very science, yeah, it's very scientific. Just the efficient question made me think of like engineering or something along those lines. Now, I'll be honest. The second book you mentioned um, by I, the Will, what was it? Uh, Kaylee McGonigal. And the name of the book was. Oh, Willpower Instinct. Okay, I might have to check that book out and maybe even put it in the books of the week. It sounds very interesting. But I tried to quickly jot down what you were saying. Um, It reminds me a little bit of Emotional Agility by Dr. Susan David to some degree. But I do, I I think that's wonderful. And I think first and foremost, there's a few of the parts of it that I really like. First of all, is that noticing it and also part two is don't push it away. And and I think that's very important. Many people and I in some ways talked about that in the previous segment. We think we're supposed to run away from our negative feelings to... Um, erase them or to get rid of them or deny them, which is what most people end up doing and not realizing that our emotions and even thoughts, impulses, cravings, temptations, they can give us information about us. And when we deny them, we actually lose a lot of information. So although people sometimes think that emotions are not rational or we should just be rational, it is actually irrational to not take in all the information. So by denying your emotions, you're really being irrational by not getting all the information to then make the best decision or act, behavior, whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. I did like that those steps. So you said noticing the bad thoughts or maybe it's a craving or desire, whatever it might be, because we have to be in touch with that. And even you mentioned, for example, being on a diet. Well, you can't just lie to yourself and all of a sudden say, well, the sweet foods that you like all of a sudden are disgusting or gross. No, you like them still, but you're going to choose. And I guess that gets kind of, I'm kind of skipping some steps to part four, but you're going to choose not to do it because you have a bigger goal that is bigger than just that immediate craving, the feeling. Yeah, that food's going to taste great to you right now, but you're choosing your same better. Right. Or in the studying case, oh, it'd be so fun to go hang out with your friends and in that moment, maybe less stressful than sitting down and studying, but you have a bigger goal of graduating or getting a certain grade in this class or whatever it might be. So you're choosing a different action. So I really like the noticing part, which involves um, self-awareness, which can be part of a meditation and mindfulness program you have for yourself, or also just checking in with yourself on a regular basis that I'm going to see how I'm thinking, what am I feeling? 
not deny it. Some people think, or even in a marriage, I talked about this on Monday's show in talking about uh, the evolution of desire, the thought that people have, well, if you're in a committed relationship, you shouldn't be attracted to anyone else anymore. Well, no, it's not the case. You can still find attraction in people. And actually, we know that there even is going to be desire sometimes, or some of our psychology could make it that having an affair might seem like a good idea. It's somewhere in our genes that there can be some benefits. But actually understanding yeah. that desire and where it's coming from could allow us to know, okay, it's not actually that meaningful. It doesn't mean I need to act on it, but I can understand it and choose to act in a way that's different from that desire. So I like—I actually do like those four steps. And like I said, I, I haven't read the book, but I'll check it out because then also is acknowledging in our thoughts, I think it's something acknowledging we don't have complete control over our thoughts, which I think is very important to keep in mind, uh, especially this is true for people who have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Sometimes they can have these incredibly painful, intrusive thoughts like, I'm going to kill my mother or I'm going to run over someone with my car. And it's not that they're actually bad people and they want to kill their mother or they want to hit someone with their vehicle when they're driving, but this automatic thought pops into their head and the tape recorder, they're supposed to have something that could switch off that recorder that keeps playing that thought, but they can't do it. And it's really out of their control. And then they become obsessed over it and it becomes this incredibly stressful thing for them, distressing type of feeling. But we do have to accept we're not responsible for our fleeting thoughts and ideas that can pop into our mind. And we don't have complete control over our thoughts. Over time, we yeah. can affect our thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. And CBT, actually, that's part of what they're, you're doing is you're trying to change your automatic thoughts over time. Whereas hey, what maybe, was that CBT? I apologize. Oh, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, right, 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 part right. of what you'll be doing there is, for example, you might go into an interaction and think, oh, people don't like me. And then you look at where is that coming from and you realize, oh, there's this insecurity you have from childhood that you thought people didn't like you or that you're unlovable or whatever it might be. And you over time try to change those underlying beliefs or automatic thoughts so you don't have those thoughts just pop into your head. So we can modify our thoughts over time, but to think we have complete control over them uh, is not going to be true you know we'd like to think that but that's just not the way our we work and then the fourth part of um, recognizing the feelings don't define you it's a part of you that's what a lot of the mindfulness uh, tactics or uh, techniques about emotions is about and i was talking about in the last segment i i feel angry is different than i am angry i am angry means it's me i am anger that's all I am. I feel angry means this is just a part of me in this moment. And also that allows me to detach from it and not necessarily feel I have to act just based on that emotion. I'm angry, but I'm choosing not to respond right now because it's not going to be professional for me in this situation. Or I am angry, but because we're at this dinner party, I might not be able to tell my husband or my wife I'm upset until later on because it might not be right in this moment. Not, oh, I, I'm angry. I have to do it. So feeling is very different than being only that emotion. So I think those four steps sound very good, and I'll definitely have okay, to check it out. Yeah. And as far as your second question about the efficiency, what did you mean by that? Is it something you're going through yourself? Yeah, well, the thing is, for example, um, I'm trying to do a lot of things at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. This is, I'm pre-met, so this is my first or second, well, potentially one more gap here as well. I'm trying to, I'm working out at the same time. I'm dieting at the same time. At the same time, I'm studying for my MCAT. At the same wow. time, I still want to go out and socialize. It's a different place. I don't have many friends here yet. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's obviously always um, anxiety, specifically sure. when it comes to meeting new people. I mean, you, can't, you, you might see someone at a train station, they might seem interesting, or they might be reading an interesting book, and you have these kind of uh, anxieties that obviously some people say genetically, evolutionarily speaking, from a tribe kind of mentality, some people say it could be from something in the childhood, kind of arise to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I can, with these four steps, I can deal with them um, almost effectively, you know, most of the time. Although sometimes uh, they, it takes, a, like, a, a while for me to, like, take a deep breath, kind of notice how I'm feeling, where the feeling is localized, and go through the four steps. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's, like, a time constraint. Sure. And, like, let's say the, the person's walking, you know, not, not even necessarily has to with people. It has to with opportunities that I have to grasp them immediately or else they're going to flee. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to be up on par with my emotions as quickly as possible to do that. And I was wondering, that's the kind of the, the thing, uh, is what I meant with the efficiency. Yeah. It takes, yeah. Sure. No, that's a, you know, that's a great question. You know, in, in, in the moment, we, these things are great for reflection and when you have time and on your own. But sometimes in a moment-to-moment interaction, you're right. I mean, if you're having a conversation, you can't. Every statement the person says, say, give me one or two minutes to reflect on that, and then I yeah. respond. It's not going to really work out. Or, for example, yeah, you're at the train, and I, you know, you only have a minute or two to maybe interact with someone or even to initiate an interaction, and you might not have all the steps. So I think doing these things is great, and what you are doing sounds wonderful and working on yourself and um, trying to accept yourself and your emotions and become more aware of them is is wonderful. You know, sometimes in the moment we have to accept that something doesn't feel quite right, but we might do it anyway. Because from before you even go on the train, for example, you can say, I know that it'll be uncomfortable for me to just initiate a conversation with someone on the train, but I'm going to just practice it today and I'm going to do it with someone. I'm just going to initiate a conversation if that's something that's a challenge for you, no matter what. Right. Even if it might not be perfect, even if it might not be... It's never going to be perfect. And so, and that's why even like I, I brought up the issue of the engineering, you know, that kind of background, but it seems like very scientific and you're high achieving, so likely there's some perfectionism. There's no such thing yeah. as a perfect social interaction. Social right. interactions, relationships, they're basically by definition imperfect. That's just how they are. Even sometimes the imperfection of it is a good thing because you need some of that tension or you need some things to be happening for it to be interesting and fun. It's not supposed to always go well. So I think that sounds like a big thing. And maybe even rather than just in the moment trying to figure it out, you can sit down and think about, okay, what is it for me in those moments, you know, in general? What you just said is a big one, that I'm expecting it to be perfect. And if you're waiting to say the perfect thing and have the interaction go perfectly, that's putting way too much pressure on it. And almost always you're going to choose to avoid initiating the conversation or the the interaction. So that's Mm -hmm. maybe something you can work on before you get into that moment of, okay, I'm going to be on the train. I'm going to see someone that I want to initiate a conversation with, but I can almost be assured that I'm going to have a spike of anxiety. That's going to make it seem scary. That's going to make it seem just don't do it. Yeah, maybe partially from a tribe mentality when we lived in small groups. And if you embarrassed yourself or got rejected, it could lead to even something like death or maybe a loss of mating opportunities. So it's all this added pressure. But I know it's actually not that big of a deal. And I'm going to accept that it's not going to be perfect because it's not supposed to be perfect. And I'm just doing it as part of an exercise even to show myself that it's not that scary. And then go in and just, I'd say, give it a shot and be ready that it's not supposed to go well every time for anyone. And sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes you might have a feeling of rejection. But then you go back to the drawing board and using these steps that you're using. And it seems like 
you're you're studying a lot in this domain to understand yourself better you then use those techniques and know that you have faith that whatever you're feeling you'll be able to work through it and it'll be okay but you're taking a step in the right direction i always you know tell people we have to try to differentiate between discomfort and pain because okay Pain is something that means it's damaging. So if we use a, a working out analogy, if you're working out and you're pushing your muscles and you start to get a soreness in your muscles that you can barely keep going, that's good and you want to keep pushing. But if you're damaging, let's say, your knee or your ligaments, that's pain that's damaged, that's actually hurting you in a different way. So in this case, when you tell me you're in that situation, it might be hard to differentiate it. Your body's basically saying or your mind is saying, this doesn't feel good, don't do it. But it's actually a doesn't feel good in a direction of growth that's actually going to help you grow rather than damage you or have a pain that's a negative experience. So really, and maybe I said pain, but what I meant to say is damage. There's a difference between discomfort and damage. And in this case, you tell me I'm going to talk to someone and I don't know how it's going to go. I say, hey, I, I good luck. I understand it might not feel good during and after even. Maybe it will feel good. We don't know. But I do have faith that it's in the direction of growth, kind of like you were saying part four where you recognize the feeling, but because you have a bigger goal, you do it anyway, or you do an action that you think makes sense for you in line with aligned with your bigger goals, and you, you go for it, knowing that I'll be okay, and then I'll be able to deal with whatever happens. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Thank you so much. Can I ask one more question? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, this one is, you know, obviously my background. Um, I moved to America about eight years ago from Tehran, mm-hmm. and... Um, we were actually talking with, about this with Dr. Holakui as well, about uh, self-esteem and kind of people constantly short-selling themselves, you know, the, the kind of mindset of kind of mukhlesin, chalk-heading, that kind of mindset uh-huh. mm-hmm. that were always low and so on and so forth. And I've been working on that uh, for some time now, especially using uh, Brandon's work, and it's been amazing. Good. Now, the one thing I have is I want to, because I graduated, I, I'm, I'm, you know, before med school, I want to, you know, obviously get into the workforce, and, of course, make as much money as I can because that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if, um, if there's any resources that I can kind of look, look up to, to to not short sell myself. Because hmm. I know my skills. I know what I can do. I know that um, what I'm capable of. But I just don't want to kind of uh, either settle for less yeah. or convey myself in a sense that the person who's hiring me would either not take me seriously enough or pay or not mm-hmm. get paid to the amount that yeah. perhaps I could be getting paid. You know, it's a really interesting question. For me, it brings up a, a few things. One is you do have to, and it seems like you're working on your self-esteem, but that's one thing. How do you feel about yourself and your own value in general? Which So that's yeah, one right. thing. But related to that, because you brought up the cultural issue that we have in the Persian culture and in many cultures where... Um, in order, because we think humility is a good thing, we almost fake humility, right? So people meet people yeah. and they say, I'm your servant, I'm less than you, you're better than me, I would die for you, I'm nothing, you're everything. And we think because this is, you know, these culturally sanctioned ways of expressing kindness, there's something to it. But really, it's a very, very empty. A lot of those people that are saying those things actually probably think they're better than the person they're talking to, look down upon other people and disrespect people in their work and in their personal life. So it means nothing to me when someone says, I'm your servant, I'm your this, before they they know who you are. And unfortunately, it does create this idea, people also have this mindset that in other areas that you should never, we have a hard time recognizing when are we being confident and when are we being arrogant or boastful. And I talked about this, I forgot it was last week or two weeks ago. But this idea that we're 
by if you're in a job interview and they're asking you what are you good at and stating what you're good at in a confident, not overstating it and not being boastful or you know in any way bragging is totally okay. But sometimes we get right. this message so much that you're supposed to be humble and put yourself down and show yourself low. We we don't recognize that actually that wasn't a healthy mindset and that's not even good. No one feels good actually when people put themselves down in front of you. It doesn't feel comfortable. Or if you're yeah. in a relationship and the person constantly tells you they're less than you, people are dissatisfied in the long run. Maybe momentarily it feels good because they put us on a pedestal. And maybe yeah. if you have certain issues such as narcissism, you might actually like it for a longer term. But generally, anyone healthy is not going to like that type of a relationship. So it's recognizing that by being confident in yourself and in your beliefs and what you, who you are, you're not in any way being a bad person, being arrogant or being boastful or bad. You're just stating... The, the facts about yourself and recognizing you shouldn't feel bad about that. But I do see what you're saying in a lot of cultures, but also in the Persian culture, this idea that to be humble means to put yourself down constantly and not talk good about yourself. Well, when you go on a job interview, they want to know what you're offering. What are you bringing to the table? And if you keep short selling that or thinking I'm being humble by saying I'm not very good at anything, well, that that's not good for you or them. Um, so some of it is that cultural mindset that we can have of, humility but it's really fake humility being this good thing and not recognizing that being confident is not a bad thing at all being arrogant yes that is bad and boastful but confidence is a very good thing and hopefully from what you're describing about yourself you have a lot to be confident about i would hope you show that in these these experiences but again like i said to start this discussion you have to look at your overall sense of self-esteem and where that's playing a part as well Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I imagine in price negotiations, this plays a role as well. If, I think it, mm -hmm. if it's worth 50 bucks, I tell them, up oh, 50 bucks, and then they can negotiate it down. But I'm going to give them the price that I think is appropriate. Right. I mean, I it's valuing it. yourself and your work. I mean, if you're talking about bargaining over, you know, goods, that's one thing which is related. But especially bargaining over you and what you're worth, that's what I mean, where it definitely is going to tie into your self-esteem and being yeah. able to ask for what you think you're worth. And, you know, hopefully you'll be able to do that. But, you know, it seems like you're on the right path of looking at different things, reading, uh, you know, looking at yourself and really exploring that. That's wonderful. I'd say keep on that. You know, I'm a big proponent of therapy. So if you haven't done that, I'd always recommend that also because there's only so much we can gain from self-reflection in a relationship and exploration with someone else. We can go, you know, to a different level with that. So think about that as well. But it seems like you're on a great path and good luck with the pre-med route it's obviously a very challenging one but wish you all the best fantastic thank you so much sure thanks for your call have a great day thank you bye-bye all, right. bye -bye. all right we've reached our commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 we'll be right back back to in session with dr fadi delaqui let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hi dr halaqui um how are you doing i'm good how are you good thank you um can you hear us because we yes if it's on speaker i'd prefer not putting it on speaker but uh, uh, that's okay 
Okay, sure. Um, I'm here with my daughter, with my smart young okay. lady daughter. How old is she? She is. Uh, she just turned fifteen. Fifteen. She's okay. in ninth grade. Okay. So today at school, and she's kind of the girl that she always does her homework, even if it's late at night. She's never late on assignment. She was nominated as a student of the, you know, a student of the month because mm-hmm. of her very good behavior and all the teacher loves her. But today at school, one of her friends, she forgot to bring her homework. So she gave it her homework to her and the teacher saw. Mm-hmm. So that would count as a cheating and the, it was a big assignment. And then they're both going to get 50% of the grade. But my main concern is why she should do that. And when I ask her, she's telling me, you don't know how the high school is. Mm-hmm. I don't want people talk crap behind to me. Uh-huh. And I want it to be nice to her. So she's here with me. I want you, I mean, not her mom, but somebody else can talk to her, <laughs> how she can fight the peer pressure and how she can say no. Okay. She knows but so basically you, you want me to tell her she was wrong. But with I'm a, di- not, with a yeah, different voice. Does she want to talk to me? Yes, yeah, she's, she's in here. Okay, you. let me let me talk to her. Okay, sure. Yeah. Hi. Hello, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Um, now, from what your mom said, is that is that what happened today? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you had a pretty big, is it, I guess, I don't know how you could give it to a friend that quickly if it was a big project. Was it a bigger project that you you just gave you just copy you printed two copies of it or what did you do? Um, well, it's like this like booklet and like it's for like our um SOL and so like it was just like a review before she took it mm-hmm. and so it was before school and she asked me, hey, I just have like a couple questions left. Do you mind if I like see them or like can you help me with it? I was like, okay, sure. And I was like, just make sure, like, she doesn't see it or, like, she doesn't, like, get caught and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, apparently, like, she accidentally, like, had it, like, both of them, like, in one hand. And the teacher saw it and she got it away. I see. Okay. And then what, what were the consequences? Like, what did the teacher say or do? Um. Well, she's like, because I already got it, like, done and I grade, she graded it. So she said, do you just kind of have, like, it, like half of it a 50 for each one like part and then she said just don't do it again because you know how what's going to happen if you do it next time okay so how do you how do you feel about what happened um i feel like i don't know she's like um kind of like disappointed in myself but like kind of like angry that like i told her not to like Make sure she had it, like, out, and then she did it. hmm hmm Okay, yeah, so you're disappointed in yourself. And it's interesting because your mom, I get the feeling that because you and your mom, when you went at it, I don't know if you guys went at it or not, or started discussing it, you probably became defensive because your mom was attacking you. Yeah. Because right now you're telling me you're disappointed in yourself, too. It's not like yeah. you think it was 100% the right thing to do. You're actually disappointed mm-hmm. in yourself. But when your mom... Probably when your mom was attacking you, you kind of felt like, no, I got to stick up for myself and say, I don't want people to talk bad about me and or it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, maybe you don't feel that way. And the reason I'm saying that is 
for if your mom is listening and for other parents to recognize that when we attack our kids, they become defensive, even if maybe they actually agree with us at some level. So rather than attacking them, if we create a conversation where they can actually connect with us, it's much better. But okay, so your mom is saying she thinks there's an issue with peer pressure. I think everyone has that issue or concern. But let me ask you this. How do you want to deal with, do you feel like the situation is done or do you want to talk to your teacher about it? Um, I talked to her about it. Okay. And like, she was like, I know, like, you don't do this stuff, and, like, I know, like, you can be better than that. I just got confused, like, why would you do something like that, you know? Yeah. So this isn't something you do regularly? No, I don't do it regularly. Yeah. Okay, and I hope your mom hears that and recognizes that. Um, So your teacher was a little bit surprised, and so the consequences, you're getting a 50 on this assignment or 50% off? Sounds like a sale, but okay. Okay, yeah. Um... All right. Well, I mean, I think it seems like you recognize that it's not a, a good thing to do. And, you know, high school is already very important, and I'm sure you know this, but the stakes just get higher. And I went to UCLA for undergrad, and I remember there was a lot of people cheating on tests, and they had, they already had the exams, or they would cheat during the exams. Um, and very often it would work. I'm not going to lie to you and say it always doesn't work, but sometimes it doesn't, and it could lead, obviously, to huge consequences like getting kicked out of the school or having something written onto your record. So there are real consequences. So it's tough in that moment, you know, your friend just says, I need some help and you don't want to say no because maybe you feel bad, but you can face real consequences. Let me ask you something. Do you feel like it's hard for you to say if you were in a similar situation to say no to your friend again or a different friend? Well, I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. Because it's likely it's going to come up again. I get the feeling you're a good student. Mm-hmm, yeah. your, your mom was. Your mom let me know you were student of the month and student of the world and student, I don't know what else. I'm sure you're a great student. So it, it probably will happen again. And really, you know, I, I think your mom wanted me to lecture you on peer pressure and tell you, you know, why it's a bad thing. Although it's interesting, we always think of peer pressure as a bad thing, but we can also talk about peer pressure in a good way. Sometimes if you have friends that study a lot, it's going to make it more like likely that you study. So that peer influence can be a good thing. And I'm sure you can have that effect on your friends. But at the end of the day, it's going to be your choice, what you're going to do. Um, are you going to, to, to give them what they want at that moment? Or are you going to make a decision that maybe will be better for you long term, but might be more uncomfortable in the moment and that's why i was asking you how you feel how easy it is for you to say no to them because for some of us and it could be related to something like self-esteem we feel like we should never disappoint people or we if we disappoint them they won't want to be friends with us anymore so we think we have to just do what they want so our friend says let me copy your homework and we feel like it's the wrong thing to do we're afraid we'll get in trouble but we do it anyway and that's something for you to think about for yourself am i someone who knows what I want to do and believes that my friends will like me and love me for being their friend. And even if I disappoint them in the moment, it's okay. We'll still be friends. Okay. So it's just something to think about, but, uh, you know, good luck with everything. I would even say you can talk to your teacher again and let, let her know that it's not something, you know, you're right. Even what you shared with me that you were disappointed with yourself. Maybe you already told her, but you were disappointed in yourself too. And, you know, it was not a, good feeling and you you've learned a lesson 
from that and just so she knows where you're coming from. Um, but, you know, like I said, the stakes will just get higher throughout life and it's going to be up to you just like it's up to all of us to make the right choice we think is right for us and see what we can do. But I'm glad I got to talk to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let me talk to your mom for a bit. Yes, Hello, Hello, how are you doing? So, thank you. <laughs> the funny thing, same thing happened to my oldest one when she was in the sixth grade. And yeah. I would keep telling to my youngest one, never do that, never do that, never do mm -hmm. that. And here you are. Yeah, but I, I understand you're saying here we are. You know, I, I don't think, I'm not saying I want your daughter or any child to do it again. These things happen. I'm not saying they, we should or we should, they should happen or we should promote them. But... Like I was saying when I was talking to her, if you just attack her, she's not even going to have a conversation with you where you can actually get to a good place. But if you just tell her, peer pressure is bad, cheating is always bad, how could you do it? Why did you no, do it? No, I just asked her. I mean, I didn't attack her. I just asked her, can you just write it down five reasons why you do that, why you did that at that moment? And five reasons how you're going to say no again next time. Okay, but why do you think she said yes? Can you answer that question yourself? I know because she just want to be nice. Okay. I really think I really think the main reason is she just really wanted to be nice. And maybe that's right. And you, I would ask, you know, you can talk to her about that. And that's what I was even asking her too, because it's very likely the situation comes up again. But the way you're doing it is very punitive. Write me down this. Write me down that. If you want to have a conversation with her, I think that's actually a very good idea, and to think about, okay, well, how would you handle it differently next time? But to think because one time your older sister cheated in sixth grade and I said, don't no, do no, it. No, 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 no. I just told her now. I mean, I didn't even think about that one okay. before. I, mean, I just told her now that you remember how, how many times we talk about what happened to the, your sister when she was in the sixth grade. And even even you did all the work just because you're sharing it, it still is sure. cheating. Sure. I, I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's you know... She didn't. She has to take responsibility, obviously, for the the mistake of sharing. But yeah, it is. It can probably feel very unfair to her. You can even talk to her about that. That she worked so hard. She did the work well, and now she's going to get a bad grade on it, even though she put in the hard work because of just one moment of making a decision. And that's a lot of what life is. You know, uh, you people pull the trigger in one second, and it could change someone else's life and their life for the rest of their life. Or if we're driving and you don't pay attention for just a fraction of a second, you can end up in an accident or whatever it might yeah, be. So it's very, you know, I, what you're saying is good, but I would say the way you talk to her, I would make it a lot less attacking her and a lot more of a conversation where you talk sure. to her about that. Let's look, what do you think happened? Because, you know, right now, I, high school is important, of course, but I don't want, you know, the, the stakes do get higher as she gets older and it's more about learning the lesson rather than, uh, punishing her or making her feel like she should feel ashamed of herself and you know not be able to tell you. I think she should have a feeling of guilt and she felt that, disappointed in herself. And that's healthy to recognize, okay, I did something. But if you just attack her, she's just going to close off. But if you say, um, let's talk about this, let's have a conversation, then maybe you can get to a place where then she'll learn something from it and she's going to have to make the decision next time. You won't be there next time it happens. So to try to convince her she has to do it is not going to work unless it comes from her herself so if anything something not like that or anything the situation that she knows in her heart that she has to say no 
but it would be hard for her just to say because she just want to be nice person mm-hmm. and help out. What would be your recommendation to her at that time so she would be able to say no? Well, that's what I mean. I talked to her a little bit about that. And of course, we're not going to just take care of something this big in a few minutes of talking, you know, in a conversation. But, but, well, but yeah, well, the general rule of thumb is, yes, you know, that's what I was saying about the self-esteem and recognizing that our friends, if we really believe in ourselves and think we're lovable, even if we disappoint our friends, it, it doesn't mean they're not going to love us. Now, I will say this, the way you're reacting very strongly could be in some ways reinforcing that, that when you do this bad thing, you become bad or unlovable or not okay. Did she make a mistake? Yes, I think it was definitely a mistake, and it could have even bigger consequences than just 50% off of a grade. You can get kicked out of a school. You can get, you know, all sorts of things happening. So I'm not saying what she did didn't have, it couldn't have even been worse. It could have been worse. But what I'm saying is the way if you react so harshly, you might reinforce that message that you have to either be good and perfect or you're not lovable and I won't like you. And that's why I'm saying I wouldn't react so harshly because some of what you're saying of don't just be nice and do what people want, but in the home you're kind of giving her that message, do what I want or else I don't see you as good or lovable or perfect. Does that make sense? Now, when you put it that way, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, so I, I want you... I didn't see it from that point of the view. Yeah, because I think sometimes as parents, we think our job is just to get them to not do this and get them to do that. But we don't recognize the um, the feelings we're giving them or even the ways of thinking about themselves and life. So she should know that she can make mistakes and you won't, you know, you don't say the mistake isn't a mistake but you're not going to hate her or get mad at her or judge her or make her feel like a bad person. And similarly, then she'll learn that when I'm with my friends, I can do something they don't like in the moment and they don't leave me or hate me or not want to be my friend anymore. So that's something bigger I would want you to, to focus on because she's 15. Unfortunately, I don't want to say the damage has been done, but yes, a lot has probably happened. But you can try to shift that dynamic to get her to see I love you no matter what. You're always a good girl. You don't have to be student of the month or the perfect student. You're always wonderful in my eyes. And your friends would feel the same way to have you as a friend, even if you let them down uh, in the moment. And actually, in any healthy friendship, you are going to let them down sometimes. We don't always do what the other person wants. That's just how it goes. Same with a romantic relationship. So I I would want you to focus more on that rather than I have to convince her that peer pressure is bad and that she can't just be nice to people, but show her she doesn't have to be something for you either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even even her friend, even if she would give whatever she does, she did, she would get more than fifty percent. So, in some way, even if she would say no, it would be better for her friends too. Right, but you're getting back again to the the result. You're right, but I mean, the result could have also been the teacher didn't see it and they both got good scores. So. I know I don't want you to focus on the just the result part. You're right, but you're trying to convince her again that it's bad. She's already acknowledging she was disappointed in herself. So don't feel like you have to hammer that home that it's a bad thing to cheat. I don't think your your daughter thinks that cheating is a good thing. So I would just shift the dynamic of the conversation from less of an attacking mode and more of a conversation. Okay, and she doesn't want to tell her dad for now. Is it okay just to... Mm, that, that's... <laughs> That's a bigger question that, you know, hold on the line. We'll talk a little bit after the break about that, okay? Okay. Okay. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Caller, you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Oh, okay. She, sure. She doesn't want to talk about the dad issue, so I would expect that. So okay. I I really appreciate your hold. So for the next time, um, I mean, hopefully she would. Well, I was going to say this. Uh, you know, you don't. If you don't want to talk about, it, I'll just give you my comments on it. One is um, that we know that when our kids don't want to tell the truth or are afraid to tell us something, that means they're afraid to tell us or they're afraid of the consequence of telling us, and that we have to put on the parent. In this case, maybe your husband, but or maybe you guys together, and that creates a bad precedent. So we know that sometimes parents say, oh, my kid lies so much, or they lie to me, and they think we're talking about a bad kid, but what we want to look at is, well, why are the parents making it so hard for the child to tell us the truth? And that has to do with our reactions and how strict we're being or angry we're getting or the types of reactions we show we want to show our children it's okay to be honest with us and then not only that in this case there's kind of almost an irony that you're telling her that cheating is bad which is in a way kind of lying or dishonesty but then maybe there's going to be some dishonesty in telling or not telling her father um, so there's something there too that i think is interesting but i would i would think about that if and it might be something to talk to your husband about and also to think about for yourself. How easy are we making it for our children to be honest with us? And I do get the sense just in the way you've talked about these situations and the way you talked about her to introduce her that there might be too high of a standard you're putting on them, too much pressure on them where they have to be perfect or they're going to lose your guys' uh, affection, no, she, she attention. She takes to me right away when she was on the bus to home. So she good. called me right away, which is I'm proud of that one. But, that is um, good. <laughs> but maybe she's saying maybe just don't tell her, him now, just give her some time. Maybe she just want to um, smooth down on herself. She wants so, to do what? Maybe maybe she just want to just um, take some time and tell him later on. Okay, I mean, and I would want to respect that, that she tells him, but, you know, again, like I said, something for you to think about, is it, is it his reaction something that she's afraid of? And that's... I mean, I can see the reaction wouldn't be pleasant reaction. Sure, and pleasant is okay. I'm not saying if your child comes to you and says they've, you know, had some kind of academic dishonesty, you, you throw a party or you get really happy, you can get upset. And so I'm not saying deny those feelings, but it's the, we're talking about the degree. And I don't know how he would respond. Maybe she's just avoiding it because she can't handle any discomfort, which is something to think about, or it's how he's going to react and how extreme it is. And if there's some punishment that she's or consequences, she's worried about. But I would talk to her about that a little bit more. And also, you know, like I said, if she doesn't want to talk about it, we don't have to get into too much more than that. But for yourself to think about, okay, how do we react? Is it too extreme? Is it too much? Is that what makes it hard for her to talk about? And I get it. This is a, a bigger issue. It's not just like she um, broke a vase or something like a kid might do and they want to hide it. You know, this is something maybe she's more scared to tell her dad about. But I would hope she could tell him and that he would react in a way and respond in a way that would lead to a resolution or something better rather than her feeling really bad. Oh, okay. So your, your advice is, is better for her to tell her. I think so, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have you do it without her consent or without her saying it's okay, and I would want her to tell him, actually. So I, I think in the end, it's better for him to know 
just because I think the secrets are not going to be good. But to me, rather than just this specific secret and looking at that as, well, why, why are things being kept a secret? Or the dynamics in the home is more important. Is she comfortable talking to you guys or not? And if she isn't, you're saying she told you immediately, but she doesn't want to tell her dad. Well, then we want to look at that and what's their relationship like? What are his reactions like? I mean, I can't do anything. I can't say his relationship is not 100% good. It, it could be better. Okay, like in what ways? Like um, from, I mean, uh, her dad, I, I, you know, I can see that. Okay, do you mean, is he angry? Is he, is he an angry person? Uh, to some degree. Okay, and that's what I was saying about the, the fear. Um, again, the discomfort... No one wants to share that they were academic, you know, got caught for cheating. Doesn't feel good, and we should expect it not to be pleasant. But if it's we're afraid, that's a, that's a different story. So it's about degree. So that that's something that's pretty important. Yes, and then we start going to see a therapist for that one to that. You and him together. Me and her and her dad, we went to one-time session to a therapist. To, um, so she had one-hour talk with me, with her, and with her dad. Okay, separately? Yes, no, uh, yes. Okay. Me and dad was at the same room, okay. and she, with her was different. Mm -hmm. But the therapist told me that she wasn't open to talk to anything. And then when I asked her, she said, I don't feel comfortable talking to a stranger. Well, that part I would so say... So I just said, maybe yeah. just give her some time yes. whenever you feel comfortable. Talk. But who, who anybody else he would go, it would be... The, I mean, she's not the child. I'm sorry. She's the psychologist, the doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you this, though. I mean, with with a 15-year-old, and there are some, even 15-year-olds, who maybe they'll, they'll really want to talk to someone and they'll open up quickly. But we have to be ready that it's going to take them some time to get comfortable. So if your daughter does want to go to therapy, and again, it has to be coming from her, not you tell her she should go, you have to expect that the first session she probably doesn't open up and tell them everything. You know, that's not how it usually goes. Um, although it could be something related to how comfortable she is telling you things, seeing the therapy as an authority type figure. But nonetheless, for a teenager, when I see them the first time, I'll even ask them things about what are their interests, what do they like to do, what kind of music do they like. It's just more about getting them comfortable with being in the room and getting to know me. Because yes, to me, really, I am a stranger to them. What, how, how are they to feel so comfortable just to open up to me completely? So it could take some time. So I wouldn't expect... That if in the first session she didn't share a lot, that means it's something really bad or alarming. It can make sense she, that the person was a stranger to your daughter. And so she didn't really feel comfortable. So I, I wouldn't get too con concerned about that. But, I mean, you think it would be a good idea if she continued to go? I mean, just at least to have a talk to somebody so somebody else can tell her dad maybe he's doing something wrong. To tell, her, to tell her dad she's doing something wrong? No, no. The, the therapist tell the dad that maybe dad is, um, is not, I mean, maybe the dad has some issue that she has to work on. Well, if that's the case, then why wouldn't you and her dad go to therapy? I mean, I'm talking about the relationship between dad and the daughter. I'm not talking about me and my husband. 
I know, or him by himself. I'm saying if you're saying he's the problem or you think he has a problem, then maybe it's not bad for him to go. But it can be good for her to go to therapy anyway. I'm, I'm always in favor. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. Yes. Um, yeah, only if she wants to go. Maybe from this way, I mean, I'm not worried about me and him. I mean, that's, that's a decent equation which was closed a long time ago. I'm not worried about What do you mean by closed? Him. What do you mean by closed? I mean, like, like, uh, I mean, like, uh, how can I say? Uh, I mean, I just put that away. I'm just focusing on my daughter. Well, that's a problem, dad. though. But that's a problem. Have you accepted that the marriage is just going to be how it is, even if you're not happy with it? I mean, that's the wound, if I want to open it, is very deep. Okay. So, and we don't have to open it right now with me, but I would say what you're telling me, though, is that I've at some level given up on my marriage. I'm focusing completely on my children, but that actually means you're going to put too much pressure and focus on your kids. And that's actually not a good thing because you're not going to be living your your own life fully. So, And a lot of parents do this. They say, okay, my marriage is not going to be good or we've just accepted this is life. But let's focus just on the kids and making them happy and successful and all these things. But they put more and more pressure on them rather than having a healthy relationship with them. And so you're saying the wounds are very deep in your marriage. And it would take both of you and your husband, of course, to work on it. But I would hope you don't just give up on that. And actually, it would help the family dynamics also. So it's not just about you and your marriage and your husband. It's also about the whole family and how your children feel in the household with you guys. So I would hope you don't just close that chapter and accept it because that's going to have a negative effect on you and even on your kids. No, I'm not going to close it and accept it, but I'm not going to focus my time and energy on it now because I have more priorities. Like what? Like like, uh, like my daughter, I mean... But your daughter's, maybe, I mean, maybe, your daughter's going to be taking care of... Me. Now I'm focusing much more on her. Yeah. Like the healthy way. I don't now think I it is the healthy... Yeah. I mean, your daughter's, as they get older, the other one is older than... How old is the other one? Um, she's in the college. Okay, so she's taking care of herself. She really doesn't need much from you. And the 15-year-old needs you a bit, but she's going to need you less and less. Um, and, and I think you think it's a priority. That's what I mean by you're putting so much pressure on them that okay i have to focus so much their life is so important pressing yes you you want to give them time attention love all those things but too much of that is actually bad especially at at this age at 15 she's going to want to spend less time with you and more with her friends in a in a healthy way so that's what i'm saying about this and, and you're definitely not the only family i've seen this happening in this dynamic where the parents and maybe especially the mom gives up on the marriage and just focuses on the kids and thinks i'm being a good mom but not recognizing that by putting too much of an emphasis and trying to be too close to the kids, you're hurting them. And also by not modeling a healthy marriage, it's hurting them too. So if you ask me, focusing on your marriage would actually be even in some ways a priority rather than trying to put even more attention on your daughter. Oh, okay. Something to think about. I, I would hope you, you look at that and don't, uh, you know, or don't think, okay, I'll focus on my marriage once my kids are done with their careers and married and everything is settled and then i can focus on me no you you can do both it's not one or the other you can go to therapy with your husband once a week and work on the marriage and still be a very available mom to your daughter 
Oh, okay. I, I, I never saw it from this point. You know, yeah, well, and I think it's not a comfort. I, I don't have time. I'm working full time. I'm, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for the traffic mm-hmm. and those kinds. But she needed now, and it was so hard to find a good one, and then we went to the good one, and then she she went there for one hour, but but she didn't want to continue. But now she's telling me maybe she would go, because I told her even... She's a stranger. Whoever you go for the first time, you're not going to know them. Right, but see, so and here's where I would say, rather than telling her, you're trying to convince her she was almost wrong, I would say you're right. It's a stranger. Yeah, it makes sense. I get get that it wasn't very comfortable for you. If you'd like to go more, you might get more comfortable with her, but that's your choice. But not tell her, well, it's always going to be a stranger, so go and tell them anyway. Say, no, it makes sense. And you're only going to open up as much as you're comfortable with telling them. But I would, again, you know, I would go to a commercial break, so we'll wrap things up. But I want you to keep in mind, it's not one or the other. I have to either be a mom or be a wife and work on my marriage. You can go to therapy one hour a week and still be a mom. It doesn't take that away. So I, I would hope you keep that in mind and, and change that, dynam- that dynamic. And also when it comes to her therapy, she has to want to go. Never force her. Never even push her too much. She has to really feel motivated. You can let her know it could be nice to talk to someone else. And yes, at the beginning, they're a stranger, but we're going to keep going. Because even the way you said it to me right now, you said she was there for one hour, like it was one whole hour and nothing happened. Nothing really is supposed to happen in that first hour other than just an introduction. And that's all we're looking for. So, you know, keep those things in mind. Um, Don't pressure her too much to go to therapy or in general. Be there for her and don't forget to focus on yourself in the marriage too. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your help. My pleasure. Nice talking. You have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakli. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Halakli. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Um, My issue is I just needed more information and how to cope with, I believe, I'm not not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but how to overcome separation anxiety. Okay. Um, It's like my husband, whenever he's not home, I can't sleep. When he's away with friends or family, I feel like um, I'm left out. I get anxious. I can't eat. And um, it's put a burden on our relationship. And I just wanted to learn the coping mechanism where he is not home and he doesn't feel like a burden or I don't fear Hmm. for him to leave me. Okay. So let's look at a few things. First of all, um, how old are you and how old is your husband? I'm 46 and he's 47, but I'll be 47 soon. So okay. we're only a few months apart. Sure. And do you guys have any children? Yes. Um, I've had uh, one from my previous marriage. He's 20. Okay. And um, he was four when I got divorced and he was about five, five and a half when I remarried my, when I married my current husband. And we do have a child who's 10 years old. 10, okay. And does he have any children from previous marriage? No, no. Okay. I'm his first marriage, yes. Okay. So you have a 20 and a 10 year old. Yes. Okay. Now, have you always been an anxious or fearful person? Yes. 
yes. Okay. Um, my previous husband had cheated on me. That was one mm. of the reasons, I mean, one of the reasons, I believe. So I always, in the back of my mind, was always cautious if he's done anything. And, you know, I had my reasons. My current husband, he does not do any of those things, but I still have those red flags going up and what if, what if, what if. So mm-hmm. it's just driving me crazy and it's um, not making our marriage to be, because we're very loving and I love him dearly and I'm, he loves me. He mm-hmm. adores our family. But if I feel like I have to compete, especially with his family or even with his friends, if he goes out, I feel like, oh my God, he doesn't love me anymore. Mm. So there's a, you know there, there's a lot to to look at here. One thing, if I just in how you described your child as far as the divorce goes, there wasn't a lot of time between when you got divorced and you met this your your current husband. No, no, not that much. It was like really right away. Yeah, and that's one. Um, well, one I think maybe it shows a, a difficulty you might have being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't think you had a chance to deal with and heal from the infidelity and the divorce, which yeah. is is a, a problem. And I think that's why you're still carrying that with you into this marriage where uh, you didn't get time to heal from what happened. Yeah. And it, it's what we call a relational trauma. You know, you getting finding out your husband's unfaithful is like a trauma and it could shake your trust, not only just with him, but for men and in relationships in the future, especially if you don't have to time to work through what you went through. Um, okay. So... You know, because I'm, and I'm glad, you know, that this is why I'm glad you got to ex- explain more what you meant by separation anxiety, because it seems a little bit different than just, you know, the separation anxiety we might see in children or we might, you know, see where it's just the separation. It, it, in a way, it is that, but almost seems like you're afraid of losing him more than. Um, yes. And I think it's just being alone or left out. It's like you are not important. Yeah. Now, when you say that, does that resonate with anything from your own childhood or from your own life when feeling left out? Well, I mean, I've discussed that with a therapist and we mm-hmm. came up with this. When um, my father used to travel a lot, mm-hmm. leave the country, and mm-hmm. I was very attached to him. And um, obviously they wouldn't let me know, um, oh, daddy's going to be gone for a few months or for a few weeks. <sighs> so for me, when I was about, I think, um, three or four it's like, where's daddy? So hmm. I, then I wouldn't even ask my mom. I don't remember even asking, wow. mommy, where's daddy? So we came across that. and uh, Well, let me, and let me tell you about that. Just I, I want to make a few comments about that. Because you said, even the way you said it, obviously they wouldn't tell me when he was going. And maybe it seems obvious because a lot of families and a lot of Persian families do this. They mm-hmm. think because the kid's not going to like to hear that some so-and-so is going or whatever is happening, don't tell them and let it be a surprise, which is the worst thing you can do because yeah. that just creates more anxiety because what you experienced as a child was you didn't know when the hellos and the goodbyes were going to happen. Is daddy yeah. going to be here or not? So even when dad was there, there was probably this fear of losing him. Is he, is he going to disappear again for a few months because they don't tell yeah. me? And how long yeah. is he gone? And when you're a little kid... A few months feels like forever. I mean, you feel like you lost your dad. So it does make sense that these issues with separation and abandonment are there for you. You have a a fear of abandonment, which we can understand. So I say that to other parents. When you have your kids, don't think that by lying to them and then surprising them, it's a good thing. Absolutely not. Even when you're leaving the home just for a few hours. You know, some parents say, well, if I say bye to my kid, he'll cry. But if I just slip out of the house, nothing happens. Well, yeah, nothing happens when you leave the house. But when the kid realizes you're gone, 
that fear and anxiety is going to make them feel like mommy just disappears. I don't know what happens. I can't trust that people will be here. It's much better to let them feel that sadness of separation and then the joy of reunion rather than just to be surprised with these hellos and goodbyes. But anyway, so clearly, I mean, that this feeling of the unavailable or distant man is something that you're painfully comfortable with, meaning that you're comfortable with it because you've experienced it but doesn't feel very good. Um, no. And, he feels uh, suffocated. He feels like yeah. he can't do certain things because, oh, my wife is so sensitive, she's going to take it personally. He will go along with my wishes, but I can sense that he's not happy. Yeah. And it was. has that been... So you guys have been together, what, um, 14, 15 years? Yes. 14 okay. years. So, and has have you always been that way with him? Um, at first, he was like that with me. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, like, I would speak to my ex because we share a child. So, sure. we would meet halfway to drop. And if, if I were to say hello, he would just get all upset. Like, why are you saying hello to him? At first, he was like that, but... I think he grew up and he took some, he took classes, he educated himself, you know, that, you know, my wife is his own person, doesn't mean she doesn't love me. Whereas I, I'm trying, I'm struggling, but I haven't got, gotten to that point. I so see. my, my fear and anxiety just, it just takes over me. And, um, I become this really mean person. And then, then I get the guilty. Mm. guilty feeling so there's kind of like a cycle of anxiety yes. to anger to acting out and then guilt yes and with his mom i feel like we are it's like a tug of war he's mine he's mine he's mine he's mine and i don't like that because he loves and he adores his parents and sisters and i love that but i just when i'm in within their group i feel like i'm left out okay and well so to begin with i mean he definitely a husband, their wife, or a wife, her husband should be their primary family. And I'm not sure if necessarily he makes you feel that way or not, but it's very important for you to feel that, that you are the priority. Um, doesn't mean he doesn't ever see them, so we, we can look at how much it's happening and what's going on. But always we have to keep that in mind. And a lot of families, and again, Iranian families, we're very good at this. We think, you know, our mom, our dad, we have to be tied to them yeah. and see them every day and spend so much time with them when that's not healthy and we need to focus on our own family, especially when you have a child, and we, we want to make mm -hmm. sure that's the case. Now, when you say you feel left out, what, what tell me about that. How do they make you feel left out? Um, I feel like, well, I have three sister-in-laws, and they, they never butt into our lives. They're not your regular nosy Persian sister-in-laws. Uh -huh. They're wonderful people. I just feel like, because I'm a very sharing person, and sometimes I overdo a lot of stuff just to say, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a people pleaser, uh -huh. just to say, oh, you're a good person. And um, when I do that and I don't get that respect that, I get upset. And I feel like, oh, they don't share. If they go on a trip, like if I were to go on a trip, I always include them. But if they go on a trip, they don't, I get all bent out of shape. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, my God, they're trying to keep a secret. But whereas cognitively, when I think about it, that's totally fine. They have the right to have their own privacy. They don't mm -hmm. have to share every little thing with. Them. Of course, I mean I they're, their sisters are their. Are these are his brothers' wives or these are his sisters? His sisters. Okay, his yeah, three I mean, sisters. He's the only boy okay. in the family. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, seems. But well, you know, you know, they have to. Of course, you're right. They they're allowed to have their own 
experiences without you. They're three sisters. But it also seems like you contribute to this by you feel like you almost overextend yourself or do things you don't want to do to make them people like you. Some, I mean, I respect their wishes, and then I would love them to be part of um, my happiness, so that's why I invite them to the parties. Mm-hmm. And we get along really well, but I have never had that feeling that they include us um, or they want to include me when my other sister-in-law comes and visits over. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they do their own little thing, but they always say, oh, you're like a sister to me, but I don't get that feeling at all. Well, I mean, you know, you're like a sister to me. You you still will never feel like their sister, and you probably shouldn't. No. You know, that's okay. Yeah. But I'd focus more on your husband and how he makes you feel. How they make you feel, it can matter, but far less than how he makes you feel. Um, do you feel like he makes you feel left out of his family? Mm, no, no, he okay. doesn't. Yeah, but if they do something wrong, he never tells them. Like, you did something wrong. He's just, so you think he won't take your family. side? Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's like you are the one who made a mistake. You are the one who instigated that problem. Is Do you feel like he's overly critical with you in general? No, no, okay. no. He's very easygoing, and so that's the problem. I'm overly sensitive, I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's very easygoing. So some of the issues that I bring up, he's like, what are you talking about? I don't even see it that way. Yeah. Now, he's very logical. Uh-huh. Well, and I don't think he has to necessarily always get involved with them if you're having an issue with them, but I would want for him to always take your emotions seriously, whether or not he agrees with them, whether or not he thinks you quote unquote should feel that way. If you feel something, I would hope your husband at least hears you out and will be there for you. Now you mentioned going to therapy yourself. Have you gone to therapy with him? Um, maybe a couple of times, but I was, I had to go more often then, you know, I stopped it for a while. My son was having some issues, so I sent him instead. So, and it's just, the problem is that I just need to continue and go and go and go. Where I go a few times and I stop going, you know. So that's one of my issues. I need to follow through. Okay. Well, that's, that's an interesting one. So you've gone to a few therapists where you went just for several sessions and you stopped. Mm-hmm. Okay. That could be your, your fear of facing what's there. Also, your fear of even getting close to, to the therapist or connecting with them. Or this feeling of you want to leave them before they leave you because you have this, this fear of abandonment. So I would just tell yourself, you know, almost like you don't have a choice. Find a therapist and maybe it's one of the ones you already saw that you're comfortable with and say, I'm going to go six months every week no matter what. Okay. And at least there, I, I'm likely you're going to want to go more than that. But what you're talking about, because of your childhood with your father as distant as he was and the way they dealt with that which did create this separation anxiety but this fear of abandonment and then um, you had a a husband who was unfaithful which further reinforced that sometimes we find someone who's going to further reinforce our life story but it's a very deep rooted feeling you have about being uh, abandoned and that you're at any moment there's a threat that you're going to be forgotten or replaced and that's what you're looking for for your husband maybe when it's not even there you're you're looking for it so i think be ready to do that but also i think you and him going they're not mutually exclusive you could also go see someone else for couples therapy because you guys have some issues to work through and i know you know it's not fair for it just to be seen as your issue a lot of times you know 
I've seen this in couples where they say, oh, you're just too sensitive, so you have to get over it and everything's going to be okay. Well, you know, yeah, there could be that I hope you do work on yourself for your own benefit and it would help the marriage, but these issues now are the couple's relationships. They're your guys' relationship issue together. So, so when I have one more question. Sure. Um, so when I say, like, I'm your family and our kids are your family, is that so bad where, I mean, I'm not trying to say, like, your parents are not your family, but like your immediate family. Well, he how about this? As, yeah, yes. I think this is a very important question, and we're actually at a commercial break. So just hang on the line. Let's talk after the break, okay? Sure, sure. Thank All you. Right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we were with the caller. Caller, still there? Yes, I am. Okay, so you were talking about, and I'll, I'll let you state it again, about talking to your husband about you and um, your son with him being primary family or yes. something. Like that. So go ahead. What, what what do you talk to him about or what comes um, up? Like when I mentioned that we are your, you know, family first and then it's, you know, your parents and um, your other immediate family that you had before you got married, he... He gets really upset that I do a lot for you guys, and I, and he does. He doesn't mm-hmm. like, you know, like in spending time. It's just that um, I feel that's the feeling I get. That you know, even though I think that we are first, but I don't feel that, and I don't know whether that's because of my insecurities or um, when I ask him that question, he gets really upset. I feel like at a, you know, like they are if whenever whatever they want, he will just bend backwards to help them out. When you say bend backwards, what do you mean? Does he change plans with you and your son? Does he, you know, how does it affect you guys? Um, no, not that. It's just, I think I look at it as like he is going to make plans around their plan. Like, um, I mean, like I was saying, it's just I've become so overly sensitive about it that every little thing he does, even if he goes, takes his mom to the doctor's office, takes a day off from work, and I said, oh, he could spend that time with me, but he's going to take care of mom. Or when he takes care of mom, why doesn't he drive home right away? Why does he go spend three, four hours with them? Okay. Do you feel like he doesn't spend enough time with you? together a lot you know we it's not like we go out every night but we are together you know but he is really busy preoccupied with his um, job and um, starting another job and um, and I'm home a little bit earlier than I work part-time so that way I'm home with our little one mm-hmm. when he gets home from school so um, when he comes home he's a little tired so yes he comes home eats something and then he's so tired he has to go to sleep okay so maybe at some level you feel like you don't get enough of him. Now, when it came to your own home, how many how many brothers and sisters do you have? I'm the oldest, and I have another one who's young, two years younger than me, okay. and I have another one who is eighteen and a half years younger. Oh than wow! Me. Okay, so you're two kind brothers. of a mom, yeah. two brothers. Now, wondering yeah. in any way, you know, if you ever felt that with your own mom, did, did your mom and dad like? What do you feel like 
you you saw your mom spending time with your dad and you wanted to have more of him? Did you ever have that feeling? Actually, my my we always had relatives over, so I never ever saw my parents spending alone time. Oh, interesting. There was always someone home. My parents had to take care of. My dad was always away at work or business trips, and uh, my mom was like she was a great mom, but her yeah. focus was on taking care of the rest of the family members. Yeah. So so we can see a parallel there, right? Where mm-hmm. um, this feeling of taking care of other family, where you, I'm sure, wanted your mom and dad all to yourself. And so there could be something that your husband and his family are triggering from your own childhood where you have this feeling of, well, you know, why are you taking her to the doctor? Why are you doing this? Just like you maybe thought, why is my mom doing things with my aunt and uncle and whatever else? I would want her to spend time with me or my dad, who I don't get to see much. Why does he have to entertain these guests when I want to see him? And Mm -hmm. so maybe that's why even you're saying, because in some ways you're saying I do get enough time with him or he does give us some time but you have this feeling of jealousy almost when he does something for his mom so it could be triggering something from your own childhood of not getting enough or feeling like these other family members got in the way and even the same thing you're probably thinking in your head mom and dad were your primary family you're supposed to take care of your kids why are you spending so much time with other people just like you're saying to him hey husband you're supposed to be with me and your son not with these other family members and, you know, if you have free time, you should come spend it with us, not spend it with them. Um, yeah. So there could be a lot of those things that are, are being triggered for you with him. Um, nonetheless, I hope you do express it to him. You can even let him know about maybe this is coming from me and my issues too, but this is how I feel. And you should be able to, you know, communicate with him. As a, a principal, I do agree with you. You guys are the primary family. And that does make sense. But I don't know if he, in fact, is not giving you guys enough. That's something for you to to think about and figure out and and to work on with him. Okay. Now, um, you recommended me continue with the therapist. Do you recommend me just go to any, like a male or a female, or should Mm. I just go, does it matter? Well, I mean, you know, these things can be a little tricky. The the first question I'd always ask is, who do you feel more comfortable with? Um, Because it's all about match when it comes to therapy. Now, there's some, you know, there can be some school of thought of, well, you know, your female, female might be a better match. But then there also could be something where because maybe a lot of your issues are with your father, although maybe there's some with your mom, too, we didn't get into, that if you were able to actually have a good therapeutic relationship with a male therapist, you might actually work through some of those things with your father as well, or we could expect those things to come up. But really, for me, most important is what who you would feel most comfortable with, because Therapy is all about match and comfort level. You know, people come to me and I'll I'll check in with them sometimes. How do they feel with me? And it could put the client in and maybe they feel uncomfortable. They don't want to let you down or say, I don't know, or maybe I don't feel so comfortable. But really, I hope they can recognize that it's really because I want them to feel comfortable with me. And I'm not going to take it personally if they don't see me as a match. Because it's very important for you to feel comfortable with whoever you end up seeing. So... I would say really ask yourself first who you would like to see and then get started. You can even see a couple therapists once or twice to see who you feel a match with. But unlike before where you just saw them once or twice and stopped, then you're going to commit to seeing them. Like I said, I'd say at least six months regularly every week um, and, and talk to them about how they work and all of that. And then, but be ready to go more because I think 
therapy usually if for what you're talking about you've been dealing with most of your life it, it's going to take some time but definitely commit that time i would also recommend a couples therapy for you and him because i think the way you guys started the relationship so quickly after you had gotten divorced and the affair was maybe still fresh for you to some degree mm -hmm. was not yeah. a good start and that meant you guys started off more he was kind of rescuing you from your sad feeling than you were in oh, a good yes, place he did. He yeah was my um Night and shiny. Yeah, and that's a problem because that that's a problem yeah. because that's not realistic. Because I mean, he's a he's a man. He could be a great man, but he's not a he's not supposed to be your hero and savior. Yeah. But also, you didn't enter the relationship as two equals, both in a healthy and okay place. And so, you guys might have some work to do because of because of that as well. So, I would okay. hope you guys go and and you know if he sees Definitely it as will. you can even acknowledge. You know, I know I bring a lot of my issues into our marital issues. But I would still hope we could, and that's why I'm going to my own therapy, which you'll be starting. But that's why I'm hoping we can go together because oh, we have. He's very good about those things. So good. He's actually the one who says, "Let's go." So. Okay. Just, so. Yes. Do you have so a reluctance yourself? Good. No, no. I'm pretty much. I mean, I love psychology and therapy, so you know. But there are issues that sometimes they surface, they hurt. Right. So, but I have to get to the bottom of it yes. and trying to cope, you know, solve them. So. Yeah, and I'm, it's good that you you love psychology, but sometimes, you know, people they love psychology from a distance, like art. You know, they want to like look at the paintings <laughs> and make, oh, those are so beautiful. I love that people paint. But then you say, oh, hey, you want to get a paintbrush and draw some of yourself? Like, no, 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 I can't do that. That's no, not. That's I not. I think fun. I'm the other one. I'd like to get my hands dirty. <laughs> okay. Well, then get. Then that's good. Then that's what you want to do. You want to get in there and and go with him. And you're right, though. I'm glad you recognize that it's not easy. And I always tell this to people because we talk about therapy being something that, oh, it's good. Do it for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. It's good for you. But people think of it sometimes like they're going to get a massage. Like you just go in and you feel good when you leave. But therapy is very different. You go in and it is uncomfortable. It is painful uh, at times. It's going to push you in places you might not want to go and have conversations you'd rather avoid in the moment, but because they're going to be healing. So I compare it much more to going to see a physical trainer where, yes, it's something that's good for you, but they're going to push you and even there's going to be some pain and discomfort as they get you out of your comfort zone, but to move to somewhere where you're feeling healthier and better long term. So you're right. It's going to be challenging but something that can very much be worth it in the long run. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. I Best of luck to you guys. Time. My pleasure. All right, thank you. All bye right. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. We just have a few minutes left. But yes, you know, I speak a lot about going to therapy. And I'm glad she uh, is looking forward to starting the process, even though it is very difficult. But to anyone who's listening who's thought, as I said, psychology is good, therapy is great, and I think it's great that people do it, but... They don't take the step themselves. It is kind of like what I was saying about the art analogy. We like to just look at it from a distance, admire it, talk about how great it is, even talk about, oh, this you know, inspirational speaker said this, this guru said this, and it's wonderful. We might even post a bunch of things online, but it's at a distance. When it comes to actually facing it ourselves or facing ourselves to ourselves or looking at ourselves in the mirror, we don't want to do that because that's when it becomes uncomfortable or scary, or, you know, it gets a little bit messy. And that's what most of us are trying to avoid. So think about that if you're one of those people. If you admire something, if you think it's so wonderful, if you think psychology and therapy makes a lot of sense and it's great, and you're, I know a lot of people that tell a lot of people to go to therapy, but they won't want to go themselves. And as someone who does both, I go to therapy myself, but I also tell people to go. I think it's very easy to see 
that it is difficult to start, but I would hope you take that step and actually give it a try and be ready that it's not going to be easy. Uh, even the beginning of therapy, you might feel a little bit worse before you feel better because you're bringing up a lot of feelings, thoughts that maybe you're trying to avoid, you're trying to deny. But the only way we heal is by bringing up those past wounds and pains and working on them and working through them. And then we can come through the other side as someone who is healthier, happier, and stronger. So don't just be an admirer of therapy, be a participant, get yourself involved. And as I was saying with that previous caller, don't just think I went once or twice, nothing happened. Nothing is supposed to happen once or twice. It's supposed to be a process that takes some time. Many of us have been dealing with the same issues for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We can't imagine that you just go once and it's going to disappear. Just like the analogy I was using with the personal trainer, if you felt out of shape your whole life, you can't go to a personal trader for one session and say, oh, I don't feel better. You're not going to. You might even feel worse because you're sore and you feel like you're huffing and puffing, but that's okay. That's part of the process. So don't admire it from afar. Participate. If you've been thinking about it for a while, it is a little bit of a scary process, but if you do it, know that you're doing something that will benefit you in the long run. Again, the book of the week for this week, I'm Okay, You're Okay by Thomas Harris. Hopefully you'll join me in reading this classic, which I'll discuss next week. Thank you to Raman here in the studio, all the callers and the listeners out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.